0: Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Did you know that according to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, two-thirds of all our fruits and veggies eaten in the United States come from outside the country? And there are all kinds of problems with that. For one, an apple that had to travel hundreds or even thousands of miles to get to your plate can't be all that fresh or nutritious. And I say that's just crazy, especially when we can grow so many different varieties in our own front and backyards. Jumping into growing your own food is actually quite simple. You just need to know the rules. My free webinar, Introduction to Urban Farming, begins to frame out your pathway to growing your own healthy food. In this free webinar, you'll learn the three simple steps to becoming an urban farmer, the five components of healthy soil, and how to think regeneratively, which is, by the way, one of the most important concepts we need to be exploring right now. Will you join me in this webinar and help co-create the food revolution? Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to urbanfarmu.org to sign up for your free webinar.
1: With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson.
0: Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Jerome Osentowski, author of The Forest Garden Greenhouse, to talk about his experience with agroforestry and permaculture. Jerome has spent the last 30 years developing indoor and outdoor forest farming technology at his location in Basalt, Colorado. He is the founder and director of the Rocky Mountain Permaculture Institute, dedicated to education, research, and demonstration. They can be found at crmpi.org. He is also the author of The Forest Garden Greenhouse, How to Design and Manage an Indoor Permaculture Oasis, published by Chelsea Green in the fall of 2015. Welcome to the show today, Jerome. Well, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I've been looking forward to this interview with you. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took
2: to get where you're at now? Well, we, as I point out in the book, we started as market farmers back in the oh. uh, late 80s and uh-huh. early 90s. I think we grew salad grains and herbs for the farmer's market and, and for the restaurants in Aspen. Uh-huh. And we had a very successful run at that. But after about 15 years, we actually lost our markets because the California growers came in and, and pushed us out of the market. And we were ready, and the land was ready to do something different. Uh, we, and, and, and I should have been doing permaculture <laughs> way ahead of that time, uh-huh. way ahead of that schedule. And I kept putting it off. I kept putting planting perennial polycultures in all my uh, one acre of annual gardens, I can remember pulling up apricot seedlings and throwing them in the compost. I mean, that that's a, that's a cardinal sin, you know, for a oh, culture.
0: Oh, yeah, no kidding.
2: Yes, and I mean, if I and I have 20 apricot trees right now. Some of our seedlings that were, you know, volunteered next right. to the fence line, and, you know, those are the ones that, you know, stayed. Uh, but, you know, it took us, you know, a while to to wake up and realize Mm -hmm. that we needed to start doing forest gardening, even though there are books out there and I was already teaching design courses. Uh But we just took our time doing the conversion. And then, you know, gradually, you know, we started just filling up all of our terraces with apple gills, pear gills, cherry gills, with all the nitrogen-fixing support plants and and the understory of medicinal plants and comfrey and midstory of currants and gooseberries. And and, and now it's a 25-year-old food forest. Wow. And it's featured in many books. Uh And and Chelsea Green came along and and asked us to do an indoor forest garden because we were doing the same thing. Indoors with our five thousand square foot of greenhouses. Wow! Uh, we had a tropical greenhouse, we had a Mediterranean greenhouse, and we have two or three warm temperate ones. So, since other people were writing books on forest gardening, and I never got around to doing that until mm-hmm. so coming up, uh, we Chelsea Green wanted us to write one on indoor forest gardening, and that's what the book is all about. Wow! Uh, that came out about almost a year ago now. Yeah. And uh, it came out in November. Right. And it's already in its second printing. So wow.
0: Congratulations, kind of our, by the
2: way. Um, you know, our aha moment yeah. when we decided that we needed to start walking the talk and put in a, a food forest.
0: Wow. So I have a couple of questions for you terms that you used already in your introduction. I'd kind of like you to kind of tease them apart a little bit. Uh, and for anybody that's in permaculture, I did my first permaculture design course 25 years ago. But for my guests that are in permaculture, I always ask them, what, what is your definition of permaculture?
2: Well, you're putting me on the spot there, aren't you? <laughs> a little bit. But you have been yeah. teaching
0: it for a very long time.
2: Oh, I've been, I've been hosting the design course for, for 35, 30 years coming up this year. Wow. and Well, my definition is, you know, the way it ought to be. And that's the billboard when you go into Maine. okay um, That's a very simple uh, definition, but ah. it's a design system yeah. where everything works in connection. Everything is connected. All the elements are connected, our food production system, our animals, our access, mm-hmm. our greenhouses, our houses, they're all connected, so they all support each other. And um, that's basically what we created here in our in our demonstration. Site here on uh, one acre, basically. Uh We're doing most of this on one acre. Wow. So we have a passive solar home with a power plant on it, a 6.3 kilowatt. We have an attached fig greenhouse that's Mediterranean with pomegranates. We have Mm. a freestanding tropical greenhouse uh, with a sauna, Uh a workshop, a dance studio on top of the, the workshop. And then all of the elements are connected. And it's net zero, basically. Oh, wow. And then the forest garden uh, surrounds all of that with Uh a pond, and all of that's integrated. And uh, we use gravity feed water systems, Mm -hmm. and all of the energy is generated on the place or comes down from the mountain. Right. We use carbon farming as our way of building soil, so we take all the recycled material that we find in the town and mm-hmm. turn it into rich worm castings through run it through the animals and then put it in our pathways and worm farm it, and then it goes into our nursery or goes onto our beds. So using that organic loop, closing uh-huh. that organic loop is right. what I think permaculture is about. Wow.
0: Wow, you're using too, way too many great terms. So the next one, perennial polyculture. Yes. Can you say a little bit about what that is?
2: Well, it's a food forest. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Forest gardening is perennial polycultures,
0: mm-hmm.
2: multi-story perennial plants, starting from an overstory, could be a uh, full-size apple tree. Mm-hmm. You would come down and have some medium-sized nitrogen-fixing trees, then you would have maybe a vining element crawling up on top of those nitrogen-fixing trees and you'd have some gooseberries and currants in the mid-story and elderberries. And then you come down, you could have some medicinal herbs uh, as ground covers, like mm-hmm. to be astragalus, and in the tropical greenhouse we have spirulina or spilanthes. So you're filling in all the niches. And if, along the fence lines, you're doing vertical planting, stacking, so everything when you go into a forest, it's not one-dimensional. Uh-huh. It's multi-dimensional. Yeah. When we create our food forests, we want to fill in every square inch. And wherever there's some sunlight, we'll, you know, we'll we'll put a plant we'll in there and clean it,
0: yeah.
2: or it'll go up into where that sunlight is. Wow. Um. And basically, it fills in the space on its own. Uh-huh. Sometimes so, you have to cut things back. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Make <laughs> them, mine. Uh, like our fig tree, we have to cut it back uh, 50% every year, and, and it grows back again and fruits again. And uh, same with all of our, and pretty much all of our trees. We don't do a lot of pruning outside. Uh-huh. We train our trees from the very beginning to be minimal pruned, sort oh, of right. like Nacionalva I did.
0: Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, so that- get to the point there yeah absolutely perfect so you mentioned a term that I've not heard before it makes sense to me though but I'd like you to explain it a little bit you said carbon farming
2: yes can you explain that a little bit yes Eric Tornemeyer was an intern here in the 90s he Uh was cutting salad greens for us and when we were first starting to put our forest garden together he helped with the installation of that and he he sort of got his start in permaculture here. right? And he's gone off to write several books, one with David Jackie on forest gardening. Uh, he wrote uh, Perennial Vegetables, and he he wrote another book called uh, Paradise Lot. And he's recently just come out with a book with Chelsea Green with Carbon Farming. Uh-huh. And basically, that's what we do here. We take carbon, we value at it, and turn it into really rich soils. Mhm. With polycultures. And in his book, he talks about the different agroforestry technologies all over the world that are working that are sequestering carbon. And so that's the kind of framework that he constructed to feature as a theme for his book which instead of a bunch of techniques that are kind of out there and people Uh are doing them, you put them all under the umbrella of carbon farming, which is a very smart way to do that because then you can get someone's attention at higher levels. Uh They can say, wow, all these things work. They've been working. We can see some examples. Let's start doing this. Let's start funding these kinds of projects. And that was his motivation, I think. I've talked to him on the phone, and actually we're going to be interviewing him on our radio show next week. Um, so that's a major book out there, uh, and uh, and it could be a textbook for an agroforestry school, which we uh-huh. hope to start. Nice. And we've used that book along with David Jackie's book and some other books that are out there from ECHO
0: uh-huh.
2: down in Florida as textbooks for our agroforestry school. But that's carbon farming, and most permacultures... People practitioners use carbon farming. They just right. maybe don't even know they do it.
0: Exactly. Exactly.
2: When you're when you're lasagna gardening and when you're doing hugelkultur, uh huh, you're carbon farming. Yeah. And if you're doing perennial polycultures, you're doing carbon farming. Mm-hmm. Excellent,
0: excellent. So we got you here today to talk about your book, the forest garden greenhouse. Can you tell us about your book?
2: Well, it walks through my entire history of growing first and annuals outside and in, indoors right market farming and that back started in the mid-80s and then it progresses all the way up and it covers the the, the the fire we had in one greenhouse that burned it down and then we rebuilt that greenhouse with recycled steel and and up to where now we're doing uh We have a a business called Ecosystem Design, Mm -hmm. where we uh, have a design system, design company that that designs greenhouses, large greenhouses and small greenhouses, attached greenhouses, uh, all all kinds of greenhouses from Uh all over the world, actually. We have some in Uzbekistan, Italy, Canada, and Finland. We've been doing that for about 20 years now, almost, and the book... Features all of our greenhouses and our experience on the climate battery technology that we developed here. Right. Uh, The climate battery is, I call it Polish geothermal because I I helped pretty much develop it from the very beginning here with a few other people that were helping us. Uh, If you can envision taking the warm air in the greenhouse Mm -hmm. all winter long or in the fall. And pumping it down into the soil oh. with and plentums and four-inch pipes uh-huh. perforated, and so all that heat and moisture goes into the soil down to five feet in some of our greenhouses, and it comes out cool and dry. So it's like a big heat pump. I I I, I think of it as this big hot breath coming in right. all day long during the
0: hot and it's, during the hot period of the year.
2: Yes, and then at night. There's another setting on the thermostat that will say when it gets down to 50 degrees, uh-huh. the same fan kicks on and pulls that 50 degree air down into the soil that's 70 degrees and right. warms it up about seven to 10 degrees. Wow! So it's it's like a battery in your car. You're driving along during the daytime without your lights. Uh-huh. You're charging the battery. The alternator is charging the battery, and at night you need some. Um, light so you turn on your light switch and yeah, yeah voila you have you have lights yeah. so that's kind of what we're doing with the with the climate battery and we have industrial size ones we use them for cooling as well
0: uh-huh.
2: they cool as well as as store heat because right if you're taking that warm air out of the greenhouse uh-huh. you're lowering the temperature of the greenhouse and you're cooling it so it actually has two functions and permaculture remember we never just do one thing. Oh, yeah. We have multiple functions for a single element. Mm-hmm. So, that climate kind of battery takes the humidity out, it cools the greenhouse, it, it stores the the BTUs in the soil for later. Uh, it actually it creates a warm atmosphere for right. the roots of the plants. Oh, of course it does. So, so my fig tree, it's in 70 degree soils all. Uh, all winter long, even though oh, it's in gosh. a past a greenhouse that doesn't have any auxiliary heat. right? And it can go down to 20 degrees, 17 degrees, and the, the fig tree is dormant <clears throat> above the ground. Right. There are no leaves on it. It never gets any tip burn. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could freeze in there, but it never... And the pomegranate is the same way. The right. olive is the same way. The Pakistani mulberry, the rosemary... None of those things feel any of that twenty degree temperature mm-hmm. because they're sitting in warm soils. Right. So that's that's really a, another little benefit from yeah. the climate battery.
0: Yeah. Wow. And you so that's what you named it.
2: You named it the climate uh, battery. It, it used to be called a subtraining heating and cooling system. Uh-huh. That was John uh He was one of a, an inventor that helped us. He did the Sunny John composting toilets. He invented that and he was here, uh, took his work, work, he did his design course here, and he stayed on to teach and help me develop the climate battery, Nice. and then we did several climate batteries independently, and then he worked with my architect partner, Michael Thompson, uh-huh. to take it to a whole other level. Uh, but it all started here at Crimpy, with a very simple climate batteries, and we have climate batteries in all of our greenhouses.
0: Nice. So you mentioned an international agroforestry school. Can you tell us more about that? That's really interesting
2: to me. Well, I've been involved in teaching and installing, you know, perennial polycultures. I did a a, a two-acre demonstration farm in Nicaragua down in in the 90s. Uh We worked in Santanistas right after they were pushed out of the government and... Uh uh, we we kept that going for about ten years, and I've always been interested in tropical agroforestry, and that's why I started planting tropical plants in my greenhouse. So, I and also recently I just did a, a workshop in Mexico where we had twenty-five people doing an agroforestry workshop on a ten-acre parcel down there, uh, trying to set up an alley cropping demonstration uh, farm, and with. Eric Tornemeyer's new book on carbon farming, Right. I, I'm really more inspired now, is to take this to a level where we have lots of really good volunteers from the wolfing circuit. Oh yes. And they're great, but they can only stay on a farm for a few weeks or a month or two, yeah. and it's hands-on experience, but I'd like to craft a curriculum uh-huh. in agroforestry, and get funded, set up three or four satellite campuses. Mm-hmm. Could be in Hawaii, oh. one could be in Mexico where we have connections, one could be working with Fort Myers Echo, huh. and one here doing temperate agroforestry. Oh yeah. And so I think that's our next big push. Nice. Is to set, set up the school. Because I like to do something. I like to be in the tropics in in the wintertime. Yeah. Doing yeah, agroforestry. Exactly. Doing, yeah. Um, I like to crack open a coconut, stick a straw in it, have a <laughs> few papayas. Um, and you know, I like to work in the tropics in the wintertime. Yeah.
0: So explain to us what agroforestry is, would you?
2: Well, there's so many different techniques about that. that's kinda of the over the all encompassing nomenclature for different techniques there's Uh silviculture there's alley cropping Uh there's um, carbon uh there's there's all kinds of different variations on that Uh forest gardening is is an agroforestry technique Uh, coppice is is an agroforestry technique got it uh there's so many different variations on on forest on agroforestry it's really a, a combination of agriculture and forests Uh and making those two work together. Perfect. So they're both mutually beneficial for the land and for, for the people who are working the systems. Wow.
0: Sounds like what we do,
2: huh? They're resilient too. Yeah. So like alley cropping, instead of doing slash and burn, Uh you're going to put these permanent nitrogen fixing trees on the contour. Uh huh and you're going to manage those. Uh, You can coppice them if you use Inga or Lucayena, Lucerna. You can coppice those every year and get some firewood from them. Uh You can get seed, you Mm. can get fodder for animals, you can get mulch, you're fixing nitrogen for the alleys in between them, and then you can grow your agricultural crops perennially or permanently on the same land without burning the forest next door Uh and just leaving this land, go fallow, and it goes weedy again, and then maybe 10 years back down the road, they'll come back and burn it again. But this is an opportunity for subsistence farmers to stay on the same piece of land,
0: uh-huh.
2: and it works. There are projects all over the world, and we need to be teaching this at schools and universities, but it's not happening. Yeah. So. What we want to do is start a school and get a demonstration farm
1: mm-hmm.
2: on the ground so people can come and kick the tires. See, that's why people come here. I just did a tour this morning from some people from North Carolina. Oh, nice. And they actually picked up my book at Echo, and, you know, they want to come here and see what it looks like, Right. A 20-year-old first fart. They want to come in and see the greenhouses where the bananas are hanging down the and the mm-hmm. and and... Citrus is on a vine in a greenhouse in Colorado. They want to go outside and see 200 varieties of apples, stone fruits. Uh, you know, wow. Everyone's partly from Missouri, right? Uh-huh. Show me, the show me state. Yep, yep, exactly. Uh, and, you know, you can read about it in a book, but it's another thing to come and experience it. I, I
0: was, one of my questions was going to be, can we come and see it? Because as you're talking about it, it's like, oh, man,
2: I want to see this place. Well, you can watch some videos. It's go to our website. Yeah, all right, perfect. Uh, you can do that. All we right, have cool. a little TV show now, and we have a radio show where we talk about agroforestry and, and, and permaculture. Uh, if you go on our, our website, uh, crmpi.org, and you can link to K&K, uh, and there are, we have grassroots TV that uh, features uh, us, and we're mm-hmm. doing different farms in the valley here.
0: Nice. Uh, every
2: month we feature a different farm, so nice. we'll have about six or seven farms through the summer that we'll feature. Visit. Stephanie, Stephanie, and I are my, is my co-host. Uh-huh. And we'll, we went to the dairy at Sustainable Settings. We went to Casey's tomato farm uh, last uh, month, and, mm-hmm. and that's already up. Uh, we did two wow. two shows here at Crimpy. One in the greenhouse, and one outdoors. Fantastic. So, um, but And we have a bunch of other videos out on YouTube about worm farming and uh, forest gardening and everything. So, Perfect.
0: There's a lot
2: of stuff you can see, uh, but you can also come here and do a workshop. Uh-huh. We have an academy coming up uh, in July. Uh, you can go on our website to see that. Okay. And uh, we have a, a four-day intensive on forest gardening and a four-day intensive on Greenhouses, and then we have it, two days on aquaponics and two days on water catchment. Nice. And then we have our in August we have our thirtieth PDC. I, I was going.
0: I was going to ask you about that because that's a pretty outstanding thing. You you offer a permaculture design course there. That's a seventy-two yeah. hour design yes. course where people can dive in and really learn permaculture and. You have yours starting in August, and it's the 30th anniversary? You've, yes. You've offered it 30 times in a row. I bet nobody else has done that.
2: Not that We're the longest-running permaculture class in the world, yeah. Wow. In one consecutive place.
0: Yeah. Congratulations. That is phenomenal. Uh, and
2: we're going to have a big party um, after that, and, uh-huh. um, a little celebration, and that'll be my um, – I'll, in september i'll be seventy five so oh. i'm you know have a little you know birthday party or early birthday party at that time and happy early birthday <laughs> living living uh in a food forest and living in and having five thousand square foot of greenhouse you know in the high rocky mountains uhhuh uh, it's cheating a little bit you know uh <laughs> life isn't so bad up here yeah it you know it's a mess, just about every. This is our. This is an ark. Yeah. And we talk about that in the book. mm mm-hmm. um, Our tropical greenhouse is like an ark. Right. You know, it has a sauna. It has a, a great place with a hammock and shaded pergola and passion fruit hanging over. It wow. has night blooming jasmine. It has an archery range in it. It has a sleeping platform. Wow. An aquaculture tank. Uh, it just goes, and a GOT machine. It just goes on and on. It's like, it's it's what you need to have. Yeah. Uh, every place needs uh, an arc, place where you can go in the middle of the yeah. wintertime and and chill out and warm up, and uh, your bones warm up because you're in a tropical greenhouse. Yeah. Did you have a hot tub in there, too? No, it's outside, actually, oh. on the deck. <laughs> oh, very good. Those snorkel hot tubs, yes, and we can... It's, it's next to the uh, woodworking workshop, uh-huh. and, yeah, that that's another thing we, we fire up as well. Wow. Wow. How phenomenal. But you could have one of those in a greenhouse. That yeah. Would, that, would, that would be handy. Yeah, exactly. So
0: I'm going to shift a little bit here on you, and I'd like to, for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it.
2: Well... You know, we did have an incident where one of our greenhouses burned down. Uh-huh. It was a that. homemade greenhouse. It had a really funky sauna that was wooden construction, and it was evidently a mouse had laid uh, a nest in the the flue. And oh. in the first year, it actually burned the the greenhouse down. It was sixty feet. Uh, oh my it gosh. was very uh, destructive and almost burnt my house down. And I was 67 at the time, and I really wasn't ready to to do something, you know, to rebuild at that time. And uh-huh. um, I finally, I, after a, a week or two, I finally got myself together and, you know, my partner, uh, Michael Thompson. Uh, we actually had taken another greenhouse down and stored it and, uh-huh. with the hopes of putting it up in Carbondale uh, as a community greenhouse and no one wanted to do that. So we had this huge greenhouse that we, metal greenhouse trusses and posts that um, that we took a third of that and redesigned it on a new footer but in the same envelope over the old greenhouse and I built Phoenix which is featured in my book. Um, So we used new technology new climate battery fans, new addition climate battery, polycarbonate, insulated north and west walls, all the things that I couldn't have done with the old greenhouse. Uh So the greenhouse, the the fire was a a blessing in disguise.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, One of those things that, you know, if you can overcome it, something really good comes out of it. And And that greenhouse now is the prototype for our greenhouse consulting business
1: wow. people
2: come and they kick the tires on that and they say well you build us one of these or a variation on this uh-huh and so we it's really good to have uh it's like a car dealer he has a aserati <laughs> on the floor right you know you, yeah. stand in there, you sit in the leather seat and you start to you know feel like you own it right yeah absolutely So that's what's good about the the new greenhouse and the opportunity to bring it from ashes again. That's why we call it Phoenix. Mm -hmm. The other greenhouse was called Pele, and that's uh, the god of fire, and then we uh, picked ourselves up, and it wasn't just the recycled steel. We got a lot of community support. We had some foundation support. We got a good settlement from the insurance company mm-hmm. and put all that together and it was like a barn raising, so we got the greenhouse back up in a year. Wow. After cleaning it up, and uh, it was two years total, but that, that was kind of my biggest uh, challenge.
0: Yeah. Truly a, a, in my life. Yeah, truly from the ashes. Yes. Yeah, perfect. So what do you consider your biggest success?
2: Well, maybe writing the book, uh-huh. uh getting the book out because it's it was a very long, tedious drawn out process. Mm-hmm. I'm not a writer i my English wasn't my first language, and I didn't even know how to read or write when I was got halfway through college, so I was dyslexic, so I never really learned how to read or write until I was about thirty, uh-huh, and I still don't know how to write. I talk in my iPhone. And that gets transcribed. Oh, nice. The ideas are there. Yeah. I mean, I I sound fairly literate right now, right? Uh-huh. Like I could sit down and write a book. Well, I can't. Hmm. Uh, but I had a great team. And I had oh, a great yeah. publisher and editors. And so all of those people walked me through the Forest Garden Greenhouse. They mm-hmm. helped me, you know, organize it. And it was a very tedious, long, drawn-out process. Yeah. But we just submitted another proposal to Chelsea oh. Green for the second book, which will be the outdoor forest garden. Oh, nice! I hope. Yeah. And yeah. now we've learned something. <laughs> uh, we've learned maybe, hopefully, that we can do it without, you know, bending over backwards. And yeah. And we, I've learned. Uh, maybe, you know, I've got some of the the team that really helped me put it together coming back. Mm-hmm. I've got some new people on the team. I've got the, the same graphic artist and Peter Bain is uh, willing to come oh, back and help me very out Very good, because he has lots of experience in writing and editing. Yeah. And so I think we're going to have a lot easier time putting this book out and it's going to focus our 25, 30 years experience of forest gardening
1: uh-huh.
2: and some of our, some other case studies and some stuff on agroforestry and our livelihood programs. huh And cool. that's kind of where we're at now with sort of in a working Yeah. to figure out what, where we're going to move the book. Nice. Well, congratulations on that. Yes, that's so having a book out after all these years of doing uh uh-huh. There's a lot of people you know have written books but they haven't done the yeah. actual forest garden, so right. I mean they've, they've done some but and we've done it for 20 years, 25 years now. Yeah. Uh, but never had time to write the book, or didn't have <laughs> the skills, right? Yeah. But now we finally got that out, out from under us, and that feels really good. Yeah. I'll bet it does. I'll yeah, and it, it does. It does help people buy the book. They write write us an email. They uh-huh. hire us to do consulting. You know, I went to Crestone, which is this little podunk town in the middle of nowhere. Okay. Filled up a room, sold a case of books, sold a $1,000 worth of plants out of our truck. Oh, my gosh. You know, see, this is what, you know, when you've been on the ground for 25 yeah. years, uh, people finally start to wake up a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think if I go down to Basalt, uh, we came back and sold one plant at the farmer's market in Basalt, and I sold a $1,000 worth of plants in Crestone, which is wow. just over the hill. So there, we, we have some work to do here in Basalt. But, uh, <laughs>
0: Yeah, you know, there yeah. you go. It feels yeah. like Phoenix. There's a lot of work to do here in Phoenix. Yes. So,
2: well, it's the hamster wheel, you know. It's yeah. Like, yeah. We don't so, want to get on that one. And
0: so so there, there's a lot of passion behind all of this. What drives it? What drives you?
2: Well, when people take the, the permaculture design course, uh-huh. you know, it's an eye opener. It's, you know, they've been doing bits and pieces of things, and, and when, when, People get exposed to permaculture. Just, it's like that sign, that, you, that billboard when you go into Maine. Is the way it ought to be. You finally, say, oh wow, this is what we should be doing. Yeah. And when I'm, you know, I'm here, working. I never take a day off. But <laughs> there's always some breaks here and yeah. there. I'm, I went up and painted the bottom on my boat. I'm going to be sailing, this summer. Uh, I go up on a hike. Uh, Twice a week, I go mm-hmm. to the pool, and so, so I take some time off, but I never take a day off per se. Yeah, uh, because I, I, you know, I take some time off to go shoot some arrows in the greenhouse. Uh, and I like the people that we have here now are really dedicated and talented, uh-huh. and it's it's great working with, with the volunteers and and a good staff that yeah. really is excited about. Permaculture and this site, as we are, oh, yeah. as I am. Wow, that keeps me going.
0: Yeah, I can tell. I can tell. So yeah. I'm all about education. I have to know: is there one book or a few books that have really inspired
2: you in this process? No, there's so many. Uh, <laughs> yes, you know, we start all the way back to Helen and Scott Nearing, and, and we go to Fukuoka and. You know, the permaculture books, uh, it goes on and on with, uh, you know, um, I'm thinking of, uh, I just drew a blank, but there there there's so many different authors that I have gleaned from. uh, And Thich Nhat Hanh. Oh yes. At those are some of my new kind of inspirations Uh to Reconnect with nature on a deeper level, yeah. and that's what I think permaculture people need to do. Is they need to spend more time in the woods,
0: <laughs> yes. not with
2: headphones or with a with a bike or anything, but yeah. just go up in the, in the woods and sit and be. Get off the trail and yeah. sit next to a stream and dream, and and let let that environment, that landscape you know, permeate permeate right into your being and then yeah. uh, your being permeates out and you know, become one. That's that's the key I think of you know, your brain on Forest well, there's a, forest. There's time? a new book out. And I'm actually gonna Your brain on nature. That's that's what I was trying the to think. Brain, I haven't read the book um, yet. Yeah. But um that's kinda of what I'm talking about. Your yeah. brain on nature. You know that's, those are the new kinds of, yeah. the new stuff that I'm looking at is, you know, we have enough books out there on how to do it. Uh-huh. I think they're out there and there are textbooks there. I like, I like uh, Eric's book. I think it's going to be a very valuable book Yeah, uh, uh, in terms of moving people and moving governments maybe um, towards carbon farming and towards yeah. more permaculture, perennial farming systems perfect so and we need to do that oh as a movement and yeah. as as the world you know we need to we need to start doing something i also just finished uh bill mcgibbon's book the end of nature
1: and oh, yes. you know
2: that was written nine. i you know i should have read that book uh <laughs> years ago but you know we haven't done anything to fix nature right you know you know tar sands has gone in we you know we're blowing up mountains to get the coal in most of the conferences we've had uh, you know haven't accomplished much right you know we have all these non-believers in global climate change so it's an uphill battle and but the, we're you know we're getting more co2 yep. everything is just compounding so we really haven't done anything to reverse it so at some point we have to do that or it's not going to last much longer right
0: and it sounds like that's what eric's book is about
2: yeah i mean Perfect. we don't have much time and uh you know i he's the first one that bill the first one i've heard talk about bill uh, i'm john Hammaker's theory of the, the coming ice age and right you know john wrote that book back in the Seventies uh, or sixties, I think it was called "Survival of Civilization." Uh huh. I remember. And it. you know about that book? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Well, you know, nobody wants to talk about the ice age coming. They want to talk uh-huh. about wine shirts and stuff. <laughs> but you know, we're probably heading down that road. Yeah. And you better get your greenhouse ready. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, yeah. what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners?
2: Well, plant some trees. Plant some edible landscape. You know, I don't know why we can't get people to do that. We need to get people to just start doing it.
0: Yeah.
2: Don't talk about it. Don't take another class. Just go and buy some edible landscaping. nursery, And start planting perennial polycultures in your backyard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's that's what we need to do. Everyone needs to do a food forest in their backyard and we wouldn't have we wouldn't have problems. Everyone would be carbon farming in their backyard. We wouldn't. You wouldn't have to go to the stores often. Yep. And uh, that's that's my suggestion. Perfect.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today, Jerome. It has been a treat getting to
2: chat with you. Yeah. Well, thank you for uh, for inviting me. I'm uh, looking forward to the summer. We just. We almost have fruit on everything this year. Nice. Uh, we just had a huge rainstorm. Uh-huh. And you know how what happens after a rain, you could hardly get through. You uh, have to <laughs> just get the machete out. Oh, yeah, exactly. Get through the lovage and the comfrey. And, and if people want to learn more about Central Rocky Mountain permaculture, they can go to crmpi.org. Perfect. Or jerome at crmpi.org to email us and learn about it. Uh, our upcoming programs and a book, the Uh book we're going to be doing and the current book. And also we have a newsletter that you could sign up for and listen to our radio show.
0: Perfect. So that's CRMPI.org. Yes. Well, thank you very much. And that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the urban farm podcast. Thank you very much. Did you know that according to the U S food and drug administration, Two thirds of all our fruits and veggies eaten in the United States come from outside the country? And there are all kinds of problems with that. For one, an apple that had to travel hundreds or even thousands of miles to get to your plate can't be all that fresh or nutritious. And I say that's just crazy, especially when we can grow so many different varieties in our own front and backyards. Jumping into growing your own food is actually quite simple. You just need to know the rules. My free webinar, Introduction to Urban Farming, begins to frame out your pathway to growing your own healthy food. In this free webinar, you'll learn the three simple steps to becoming an urban farmer, the five components of healthy soil, and how to think regeneratively, which is by the way one of the most important concepts we need to be exploring right now. Will you join me in this webinar and help co-create the food revolution? Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to urbanfarmu.org to sign up for your free webinar. That's GARDEN to 44222 or urbanfarmu.org.
1: We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming.